difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. Do you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living being? We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. Welcome back to The Next Picture Show, a movie that we've podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it shaped our thoughts on a recent release. I'm Keith Phipps, here again with... Genevieve Kosky. Scott Tobias. And Tasha Robinson. Last week we discussed Welcome to the Dollhouse, Todd Silence's mid-90s breakthrough about middle school life and the torments of an unpopular girl. We were inspired to return to it by a far gentler film, Kelly Freeman Craig's winning new adaptation of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, Judy Bloom's classic 1970 novel about what it's like to inch into adulthood as a confused girl in the New Jersey suburbs. A bit about Bloom. Among the archival footage included in the recently released documentary Judy Bloom Forever, which we'll talk about in a little bit, there's a clip of the author telling Jean Shallot about her unusually sharp memory. I have total recall from third grade on, she says. Everything. That may explain why, in another clip taken from a reading at the height of Bloom's fame in the 70s and 80s, one young reader says she believes Bloom understands her better than her own parents because of the way she writes. For multiple generations of readers looking for the truth about growing up, Bloom has been a trusted source. Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret resonated with readers both for the wit and observational detail that would become Bloom's trademark, but also because it openly discussed topics that just weren't talked about in books for kids and young adults, or really anywhere. Menstruation, changing bodies, body image, the first journeys of sexual attraction, religious doubt, whether or not chanting can increase bus size, and so on. All that's present in Craig's film, in which Abby Ryder Fortson stars as Margaret, an 11-year-old girl who returns from summer camp to find her life upended. Her father, Herb, played by Benny Safdie, has taken a job that requires his family to move to the suburbs of New Jersey. Once there, Herb seemingly settles into the groove of their new home, a lawnmower accident aside, while Margaret and her mother, Barbara, played by Rachel McAdams, struggle. Having abandoned her job teaching art classes, Barbara finds herself busy instead with thankless and dull volunteer work for the PTA. Margaret faces a host of new concerns as well, many of them tied to the attentions of a new friend named Nancy Wheeler, played by fun newcomer L. Graham, who has some very clear ideas about what and what is not right for girls to do if they want to remain in her club, the preteen sensations. Beyond that, there's a looming issue of when puberty will arrive and who the god Margaret's been talking to really is or if she's been talking to nothing at all, all along. We'll talk it over after the break. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. I'm here to speak to you today about your changing body. The blood is released through the vagina. Please, do this one thing for me. You just be normal and regular like everybody else. Just please, 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 please. What I feel, I can't say. I've decided I want you to join my secret club. If you want to be in the club, then you have to wear a bra. Oh. Do you, you think you need one? Are you okay? You can tell me the truth. Fine, good, yes. We have the Campus Improvement Committee. Any volunteers? Social Committee, Fundraising Committee. And how are you? I read that when you don't have any loved ones around, your life expectancy drops drastically, but you know, I've had a good run. So none of us are old enough to experience this era directly, though some of us come a a little closer than others. Uh, How much do you think Margaret's experiences are tied to living in a particular place at a particular time? I mean, in keeping with the feedback letter that we discussed on the last episode, a lot of this movie just feels like it wouldn't happen in the internet age. It's not that, you know, kids these days necessarily are completely knowledgeable about sex, but the idea that like one kid who claims to know everything could become the only authority, the only source uh, that all of the other girls in the neighborhood have seems a little more far-fetched. And I guess in particular, what struck me more than anything uh, watching the movie is the scene where one of Margaret's friends steals her father's anatomy book so the girls can gather around it and see like a very sketchily drawn, like conceptual image of a penis. 
and they all are just kind of like uh, baffled and fascinated. And I, I mean, I laughed in the theater uh, because it just it feels so alien to an experience where literally any device in the household can show you way, <laughs> way more uh, anatomical detail than any eleven uh, year old necessarily needs to see. The other thing that kind of stood out for me is in the original book, the sanitary pads that they try on uh, are are belt yeah. sanitary pads, which like even as a like a preteen reading this book myself, I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Why why would there be a belt? And the whole concept of like, I'm going to test out sanitary pads and get used to them feels a little weirder in the age of like stick on sanitary pads. I I think that the movie makes it feel fun and plausible in terms of reaching towards something that you think of as a more adult experience than than what you're currently doing. But the feeling that you would need to try it out before you get there feels a little odder in 2023 than it maybe did in an era where it literally involved wearing a belt that you had to hook onto the pads. Another element that like stuck out to me as very sort of of, of its time, and I think this will probably uh, appeal to Scott because I know he enjoys seeing this as well, is uh, just like the first scene where Nancy Wheeler comes over and is like, hey, you want to come run through sprinklers with me? And her mom's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. You know, and they're, they're, there's just <laughs> like like the way that the kids meet each other and just kind of have, a, you know, a fairly free reign outside of uh, the, the home uh, is uh, as has been discussed on this podcast before, you know, specific to a earlier era. <laughs> that was absolutely my experience too. When I was, when I uh, met my best friend, um, you know, I, li- I lived in, you know, a small town, Ohio. And uh, it was literally my mother saying, saying that there was a kid that my age that lived in that house over there and I should go, yeah. you know, knock my, and it was like, it was, a, I don't know what I said, but it was something like me knocking on the door, the mother answering and saying, me saying, you have a kid by age. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, 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 and thus, uh, we became best friends eventually. It was like that. I mean, this, watching this film, which I should say I liked, we usually kind of like talk about yeah. whether we liked it or not. I, I liked this film quite a bit. It brought back so many memories. And it, and what I, one thing I realized was uh, how much Judy Bloom I read as a little boy <laughs> which is very strange because she had those super fudge books and those are the kind of the ones i connected with initially because they were they were really funny and uh, and i remember reading blubber but i also have a very strong memory of this particular book are you there god it's me margaret because it had a rep and i knew there was i didn't i didn't know what was in it but i knew it was something <laughs> and uh the way i th- think about it now is it was almost like if you went to an, a library as like a teenager and try to check out a Henry Miller book or something, it was like that kind of <laughs> level of just like, here's a book that is that I probably shouldn't be reading, but I, I must have been interested enough to have read it because watching the film again, so much of it came flooding back. But at the same time, it's, you know, there, there a lot of things that came flooding back were just really era specific. I mean, that whole, you know, I, I, I must increase my bus thing. I mean, that that's certainly not specific to... <laughs> to this book it was in the it, that was in the culture mm-hmm. and um you know it just it, it felt so well you know sort of immersed in its era and uh, it made me think about Nor- norman lear too of just like of how refreshing popular entertainment can be when it just comes out and says the thing <laughs> you know when it just comes out and talks about the things that, that we're afraid to talk about that was the kind of the primary emotion i felt watching uh, this wonderful movie is just like, oh, we can just, you know, we, we, we can address what's going on, what's going on with this girl. Uh, you know, we can address her confusion about religion. That can all be discussed. It's all just out of the table. And having it on the table is, it, it, it does lead to certainly awkward moments and cringe inducing moments and scary moments. But the overall feeling is one of relief, I think. Yeah, I wish I'd read more. Bloom when I was a kid. I read I read some. I, I read the uh, super you know super fudge and tales of a fourth grade nothing. I read Blubber, which is kind of her uh, kind of her welcome to the dollhouse when you think yeah. about it. Um and, and if, absolutely totally. And I found that book really upsetting, you know, which I think it, I probably should have. It, it's you know, and it was probably like to speak to your point, Genevieve, is probably not so much an unlikable protagonist, but one of the first things I read without 
that was like didn't tie things up in a satisfying way and mm -hmm. i instead of i think when you're a kid and you counter that for the first time it's it's not intriguing it's more frustrating but it also you don't forget about it because i'm still thinking i still think about blubber but i i do think you know we took our kid to see this movie and I'm I'm really glad we did. I do think it is kind of rooted in the ear, and we talked about some of the specific stuff. But but you know these things don't change. You know puberty and and questioning religion and you know body image issues and and you know crappy friends. <laughs> you know those those things don't go away. So I, I do feel like you know one of the things that, that makes this film work is 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 it, it it is very specific to this time. But but it is it's you know it's it's really good at tapping into what's universal about that experience too. Another experience that it taps into, and I don't have good enough recall of the book to know this for certain, but I suspect it was much less present in the book just because I know the book is told through Margaret's like first-person perspective. But this movie, I think, also kind of gets at the experiencing of realizing your parents are people. Mm -hmm. And the Rachel McAdams as Margaret's mom is... Maybe this isn't that surprising, given that I am an adult now and much closer to her age than than to Margaret's. But like, I very much gravitated toward the character of Barbara and her experience as it sort of mirrors that of her daughter and, you know, figuring out the person she's going to be in this new context of moving to New Jersey and, you know, her kind of going through similar struggles as far as fitting in. And she, she kind of like goes through her own growing up experience. And of course, you know, we get a lot of her backstory with her own parents and how religion kind of drove a wedge between them that also kind of factors into what Margaret's going through. So as an adaptation, I really like that this movie looked a little more at the adult side of things without giving short shrift at all to Margaret. It kind of like, you know, told the, the same story through two related characters in a way that I think really strengthened it for both of them. And also just the mother-daughter relationship, I think, became, for me, one of the loveliest things about this movie. I, I told you guys this anecdote, but like, I saw this movie in the theater next to a girl probably around Hannah's age or, you know, same age as Margaret and her mom. And during like the scene where they are talking on the couch, like having a heart to heart, the little girl like got into her mom's lap and hugged and they just like watched the scene together. And it was very, very sweet. That was like more affecting to me than anything that was happening on screen at the moment. So I think sort of as far as like the universal feelings uh, that this movie brings up across generations, that scene, I think was very illustrative of it. I think it helps if you're going to to maybe expand the role of of the mother a little bit. You hire Rachel McAdams. <laughs> I, love, I love this performance so much. But she and and Abby Ryder Fortson as as Margaret. Those are both really remarkable performances. But McAdams just brings so much life to that character and so much desire to fit in and kind of puzzle as the words happening. And I, I love her homemaking scenes too. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. Is she one? I mean, is she one of the Best actresses alive. I, was, actresses I, alive. Too. I mean, <laughs> like I really think that now. I'm, I'm thinking. I think there's so she's so rangy. I mean, like she can. She's done so many different types of roles, and she just excels at everything she at every role she takes. It's incredible. She's so funny when she's asked to be funny, and I'm I, yes. I'm just kind of looking at her filmography. Like you know, things like people kind of forget about how great Red Eye is and how great she is in that movie too. You know, I, I don't Morning yeah. Morning Glory is kind of an, an overlooked um, you know rom com. I, I'm really fond of that one too. Yeah, she's terrific. She's good. She's good. Um, it's interesting because you know Bloom's books are not always about super appealing characters. You know, Blubber which I identified with way too much at that age uh, is another story very much like welcome to the dollhouse about a bullied girl. Who's also not necessarily super appealing. The fudge books are maybe a little more comic, but like fudge, the, the kid is kind of a pain in the butt to an older sibling. And like as somebody with a younger sibling, I, I definitely identified with that a lot. You could maybe see as an adult, how that kid would be endearing. But when you're a kid yourself, reading the book and you're you're meant to connect with a, a sibling having to deal with a maybe slightly more cosseted younger sibling 
it comes across as kind of an obnoxious character. Margaret in the book always struck me as both a little naive and a little prickly in ways that maybe weren't entirely appealing as a character. But she and her mom here, I think, are both kind of have the edges sanded off a bit, not in a bad way, in kind of a sweet way, like not in a way that betrays the book or is a problem for either version. I, I think they're both a little distinctive in their own ways that are, are good ways. But I think the version of Margaret here is maybe a lot more approachable and likable than necessarily the version in the book. And I, I think her mom just gets a whole lot more space to be herself, to be a person, and to also just have like a, a pretty warm appeal to her. To a, a lesser but still notable extent, her her dad as well, played by Benny Safdie, who, who yeah. uh, doesn't have you know nearly as much to do as as McAdams does. But the, you know the sort of the the glimpses we get of their marriage are nice, you know, and yeah. and feel real. Excellent lawnmower material yep. in this movie. Yeah. I was going to say, as, as someone who in the last few years bought a house, mowed the you know, a couple of times, did not enjoy it when the lawnmower <laughs> broke, I'm like. You know what? I could replace this, or I could hire a lawn service. <laughs> Give me a, a moose. Service. Yeah, exactly. I need, I need, I need, I need a moose. He's so dreamy. He's so dreamy. Too. I know, right? That's the thing about this movie is that you is that you can see. You end up talking a lot. Of, I find myself thinking about and talking about my own life and other people that talk about their own life in relation to the these characters. I mean, it feels so real. You know, the the one one thing about this movie that connected with me was that my daughters are both are the product of a marriage between someone who is raised Christian, me, and, and my wife who's Jewish, and we ha- came to a similar decision about matters of faith, which is that we'd support whatever the kids want to do but we're really not pushing them in any direction at all my favorite little anecdote about that not to sidetrack us too much though because i but i have to tell the story because it's one of my favorite stories about about our older child is that we were on the road once and uh we were staying at a hotel for the first time as a family and the, the kids were very excited and running around and, and my oldest who was you know eight or so at the time uh ran into the bedroom it was like a suite and and uh must have gotten into the drawer of the uh, the bedside drawer it comes running out and shows us a book and, it, and she goes she goes mom dad look the holy bibble <laughs> so, so, so uh, that, it, it, at that moment we discover just how uh, little guidance we've given them uh, on matters of faith so uh, uh, so I uh, that was uh, it resonated to me in that way of just like you know but then I then you get to that moment and this ha- this this happens to Margaret I, I'm not going to say anything about my own children at this point but that need to think about religion and the way it kind of ties into the other changes that are happening to her. Really interesting, right? Um, just uh, feeling like at, at, at this point that she needs to try to find some answers that she needs to kind of get a feel for what, you know, God she's speaking to of what, what sort of guiding hand might be in, in, involved in the events of her life as she's going through these changes that are so dramatic. You know, that's all that stuff I think is really well balanced and well handled. For me, it's maybe a little too soft pedaled. Like if if there's a, a gripe that I have with this movie is that it's that it's very nice, but I, I don't just don't think it's very deep in a lot of ways. And Margaret's religious explorations consisting entirely of like these sort of like vague prayers that I guess on the page maybe feel a little more heartfelt and in the film feel a little more like comedy just don't land for me as her seeking something important and real and meaningful in the same kind of way. I I thought the movies just whisking across her going to various church services felt pretty shallow. And that's not, I liked that a lot because that was something I did. Like I I went to like all my friends, different churches growing up and I feel like it's, well, go ahead, finish your thought, Tasha. Well, no, I, I, that's a really relevant thing. I mean, I, I grew up in a household where we went to the same church a lot and it didn't occur to me until considerably, like it it didn't really occur to me until my teen years, Mm -hmm. I think that other people had other religions and that the way that we'd grown up wasn't the way that everybody grew up. I I came to that realization a little late. So like that aspect of this book has always been interesting for me, I guess. But here, again, I, I just feel like it's kind of played for comedy. And there's a point to it that I think is interesting, which is the way 
adults take it more seriously than Margaret does. Like one of my favorite things in the movie, we didn't, we haven't talked about Kathy Bates Mm -hmm. as you're talking about like appealing actors that just make roles fun. I really love her depiction here of a grandmother who's trying not to hold on too tightly to her family and especially her granddaughter. But at the beginning of the movie, it's just very clearly lonely and is very clearly upset to see her granddaughter moving away and making life difficult. And then she kind of clearly finds a little bit of a life of her own, but she still, when Margaret tentatively wants to go to temple and and see what that experience is she immediately goes to she's jewish Mm -hmm. now it's like she belongs to me and my faith and uh rachel mcadams characters christian parents are kind of trying to do the same thing so the degree to which it means so much more to the adults and it's it's so much more trenched and rooted for them, I think is a pretty fascinating aspect of this film. And another adult that I think we should mention in the context of, of Margaret's search for religion is uh, Mr. Benedict, uh, the, the teacher. And God, you want to talk about a, a something that, that dates this as a 70. I don't know if any, if any teacher now could get away with telling their their student <laughs> to go explore a bunch of religions as your, as your school project. I mean, maybe, maybe, I don't know. But uh, that seems a lot more that it would be a lot more fraught today, maybe than than it was back then. But you know, there is also that element of, you know, this is a a project in in multiple senses of the word for her that is maybe contributing a little bit to that feeling of shallowness that you uh, have, Tasha. Yeah, it's not that I wanted this to be a, a serious melodrama about. Like finding the religion that defines your life Mm -hmm. as a a preteen. Exactly. I just, again, it just, it kind of plays for comedy more than anything else, Mm -hmm. where in the book, it just feels a little more to me like searching, Mm -hmm. a little more like trying to fumble for meaning in life, which, you know, as, as both a kid and a teenager, feels a lot more deep and meaningful than necessarily an adult looking at what a kid uh, is, how a kid is acting out at that age would necessarily give it credit for. But doesn't it pay off when, when all, when all the adults are in the room together, that contrast, because, because when you're with Margaret, there's something kind of innocent about the exploration that she's, she's going on of trying on these different pairs of shoes, really going to one different service to another but but with the adults, their views on religion are much more calcified, and and that's kind of like what adults are like. They're kind of set in their ways, and they're set in their thinking. Uh, they're inflexible, and and uh, and there's a lot of sort of needless conflict that comes as a result of that. Which whereas whereas you know Margaret herself would you know rather just you know explore these options without necessarily, you know, having this dogma that goes along with it. Yeah, as I say, uh, that's the aspect of the story that I most enjoyed was the way the adults interface with religion. I think and it's, the a way- pay- it's a payoff, though, to, to what we see before, though. I mean, those, yes, those scenes are light and sometimes played for comedy, but but I think it does ha- end up having that serious payoff when you find when, when all of it leads to this, you know, conflict between all of the uh, adults. Sure. I just I think that there's a degree to which any story about a kid exploring something for themselves and then seeing that exploration co-opted by adults is potentially a relatable kind of drama, you know, that kids just feel like they're discovering things for the first time, you know, that the, obviously their their parents were never children, the other adults around them were never children. So when you're when you're young and you learn something new that isn't handed to you directly by an adult, it can feel like something that's just really special to you that you own. And the drama of all of these adults coming in and trying to own this thing that she's discovering for herself, I just feel like there should be like a little more a little more skin in the game, I guess. A, a little less like it's all just kind of a, a big joke for her, if not for them. I mean, do you, do you think that like that final confrontation kind of plays as a big joke or, or you know, because I, I found that really it's a one like real moment of drama in, in the movie. But you know, it doesn't necessarily feel like a climax to the movie, but it does uh, feel like something that the whole movie's been building to. Yeah. And I guess maybe that's what I mean when I say it feels very shallow is that 
it's a great moment of drama where a lot of the things that have kind of been simmering under the surface come into focus, specifically about Barbara's estrangement from her parents and where it came from, about Sylvia's relationship with her religion and how she's not trying to push it with like the relationship between Margaret and her parents and how they all feel about religion. It all comes to a head. And then they're just never, it never feels like there's any follow up or but fallout. I, I actually like that about it a lot because I feel like part of what sets this movie apart and kind of bloom in, in general, insofar as my experience is like, I feel like a lot of entertainment for kids is there with lessons and morals to tell you how to think. And I think what I like about this movie is it, it lays out a lot of questions. And basically says, you're going to have to figure this out for yourself, kid. It's all we, you know, we're, we're doing the best we can here. And, and <laughs> uh, it doesn't want to provide any pat answers. And I think that's really kind of the greatest strength. And I kind of saw that in that final scene, too, where there, you know, tensions, you know, it comes to a, a, a boil, but then, you know, the heat gets turned down and everyone moves on without anything being resolved. But it's kind of, up to, you know, it's kind of up to Margaret to know what, what happens next or where she takes her own life and where she takes her own interest in, in religion and other issues. I kind of appreciated too about this movie the the integrity of Margaret's parents in their marriage and their way of modeling relationships for for her their way of you know sort of thinking through the, the you know how, how best to care for her I mean there's a, it's it's maybe soft or warm or whatever but I like that about it I I think there's something that, that's kind of a positive takeaway from the film and and you know to where you can get to this moment when. Margaret finally gets her period, and and it and it is a, it's a nice moment for her. It's it, and it's and it contrasts so sharply with the drama that surrounds Margaret's friend Nancy and and that the scene in the in the restaurant bathroom, which is a, which you know is a much more fraught situation. Maybe speaks to a, a different relationship between uh, parent and child. It's also the scene at the end where where Margaret gets her period. It's also where she starts talking to do- to God again to to kind of bring it back mm. to uh, what we were just talking about. And it is sort of the not quite the punchline, although I guess maybe in the context that Tasha was talking about it, uh, you know, it is maybe a little bit of a punchline coming on the heels of her kind of saying after that big dramatic family scene, like I'm just I'm not any religion. I you know, and and kind of waving off God as a concept uh, leading up to this point. So, like, I appreciate that the movie, uh, like you said, Keith, like, doesn't try to, you know, impart any sort of lesson. But at the same time, as far as the arc of, you know, Margaret exploring God and religion, it kind of lands at this neutral place of like, okay, you know, I'm good with God again. I'm not necessarily going to get down, down with any of the uh, religions ab- about him or her. But, you know, uh, we're cool, the two of us at this point. <laughs> I mean, in the softest sort of way, maybe that is the moral. Right. Is uh, Avoid all of the adherence of any given religion exactly. and just have a religion of your own. That's that's the only satisfying have your, have your way to go about it. Have your own relationship with God. I think that's a, that's a pretty healthy lesson to end with. We're talking a lot about the religion in the movie and and very little about the menstruation, which I think is one of the things that makes this movie and this book and this the story in general like most specific and unusual. Like it was it was a really big deal recently when Turning Red just mm-hmm. acknowledged the existence of periods almost in a metaphorical, uh, just very surfacey kind of way, and then moved on. And here we have a movie where we have girls just talking on and on and on and on about their periods. Reading this book as a, a preteen, that was the part that I had the hardest time relating to. The idea that girls believed that getting your period basically made you a woman that it would somehow change your life, that there was a before and after and and it would be dramatic. That was just never a part of my like prepubescent social activity. That was that was not something I, I remember reading this book and thinking, am I abnormal to not have 
been part of a, a social group that thought this was important. And I, I'm, I'm curious how all of that played for you, I, like either as a social comedic uh, aspect of the, the movie or just in terms of like relating to anything about your own adolescence and maybe less the menstruation part for the men, but <laughs> possibly also just the, the social pressures around, uh, you know, coming of age shibboleths. I mean, yeah, I mean, from the male side of things, I mean, it, it it's huge. I mean, the, the whole puberty thing is <laughs> a pretty dramatic and kind of like visceral shift from one phase of your life to another. And, and the, the, this age that Margaret is when she's 11, right? That's a tough age because you are, you are in that age where you're still, are you allowed to be a child anymore? Are you allowed to do childish things that, ki- that little kids do? And uh, how, how much do you have to look forward to uh, what you're expected to be as a as a young young adult? And um, it's a kind of a tortured time period. And it, it would seem to me, again, not have ever been a little girl, but I, but that but it would seem to me that that having a, your first period would be a pretty visceral marker of that as well. No. Yeah, I I mean I think getting your period in in this movie is like it's part of a bigger tapestry of secondary sex characteristics uh, coming up, but it is like the most black and white or or red. It's the most like definitive and specific. It's not like <laughs> it's not like comparing boob size or you know how how long you kissed that guy for. You know, it's a very like uh, on off toggle. You know, like it, adulthood toggles on when you get your period, and it's like in this stage of. And I should say, like, that's not necessarily what I believe or believed at the time, as far as like, I am an adult now. But I think it, in this stage, when you are in this, like, very kind of in between space and like these things are happening at different rates to your friends and to you, or maybe not happening to you yet, there is sort of appeal, a shibboleth, like you said, Tasha, of, of like this one thing that is like, okay, now it's real. And I don't have like memories of like, talking about it with my girlfriends to the extent that Margaret did. But I was a very late bloomer and definitely did relate to and feel for her like being quote unquote behind all of her friends and how panicky that can make you and that what is wrong with me feeling that comes with that. That I think is that felt very real to me as far as like the extent to which they are obsessing over it. Like I think to a certain extent that can just be chalked up to the fact that this is a compressed narrative and not real life. And, and, you know, like we're, we just see every time they're talking about it doesn't necessarily mean it's all they talk about. That's just storytelling for you. But uh, yeah, that never like rang particularly false to me. Oh, I'm not saying that it rings false. I'm saying that it it was one of the things that I had the hardest time connecting to in the narrative as a kid reading the book and that I found sort of like funniest and most specific mm-hmm. uh, in, in this particular narrative. Like there are parts of the story that I related to more. The, the experience where you're in that age where some people are developing faster and the people who the, the girls in your classroom that have boobs when a, most of the girls in the classroom don't and the person who does gets talked about and gets slut shamed like that's something I experienced in mm-hmm. my school. There was a, another girl who got breasts earlier and all the horrible things were said about her. So, like, there are just parts of it that are maybe more intrinsic to my experience mm-hmm. uh, than than not. But I just I feel like the bonding over slash catastrophizing periods mm-hmm. in this story is maybe one of the things that defines it even more so than the religious uh, story. And I just I find that a, an interesting aspect of it. Yeah, it's it's. Tough. I think it does such a good job of capturing that in between age. And Kelly Freeman Craig, who we haven't really talked about enough, but who's you know does a terrific job directing this. And I, I loved her first film, Edge of Seventeen. So, Me too. Uh, I was I was excited when I heard she was doing this one, and 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 you know she did she did she did right by it. One one of my one of my favorite shots in the film is toward the is at the very end or close to the very end is is when the girl who's been bullied for developing early uh it just is dancing uh with Mm -hmm. with everyone else and she just has this look on her face of just absolute just you know joy in being a kid you know Mm because she still is the way they dance i love the way they dance it's so perfect for that age (laughs) it's a it's a sweet 
scene and we'll talk about more sweet things no undoubtedly (laughs) (laughs) when we bring these two films into comparison but it may be a matter of contrasting uh this film's view of adolescence with oh welcome to dollhouses uh we'll talk all that over after the break how come she never talks to anybody i don't know because she's too busy doing other stuff that's why (laughs) Now, if everybody's had enough to eat, we can start the games. The games? I'll spin first. So now it's time for connections when we bring these two films together and talk about all the things they have in common. Uh, and, you know, they're very different films. They also do have, there's so much overlap in terms of what they cover and, and the, the themes of it. I uh, mean, starting with, let's start with the obvious, with with puberty and young adulthood. I mean, for Margaret, it's a time of, of mystery and discovery and awkwardness and making mistakes and making up for them. And for Don Wiener, it, it's it's a hellscape, right? I mean, <laughs> that's the only way to put it. I mean, this is, but but uh, I don't know. What, what, are these completely antithetical in the, in the way they approach uh, uh, this particular time of life? Oh, not at all. I mean, I, one of the things that I think they have in common most is just sort of capturing that age where you're just like day to day, hour to hour, you might be a, a kid and might be an adult, like in your own eyes or in your behavior or in how you uh, approach different things. Like, Everybody in Welcome to the Dollhouse feels especially kind of young and unfinished, just kind of like soft in the in the face and in the heart, and in many cases trying to pretend that they're tougher. And maybe Margaret doesn't do that particular aspect of it nearly as much. But that sort of scenario of uh, Margaret having a neighbor come over and say, you want to go play in the sprinkler? Like, that's a a suburban thing that I could very easily see happening in Dollhouse if... uh, you know, Dawn had more friends or was more approachable. She just and at the same time, the sprinkler <laughs> <laughs> by Missy, yeah. and it would all be captured on film. And then later, they uh, would uh, the whole family would watch it and laugh. But but that just kind of like being on the cusp of something and being aware of it, and like consciously reaching past the age where you are and and trying to grab the next thing. You know, Dawn's trying to do it with sex, which she doesn't understand yet, but she's trying to sort of present herself as knowledgeable and ready and available for it because she associates it with acceptance and boys' attention. And with Margaret, it's, it's waiting for her period, but both of them are kind of in the same place as – Girls who are starting to develop and kind of trying to come across as or like believe they are older than they are or maybe reach for age inappropriate things, you know, because like like so many adolescents, they associate the next thing with being an adult. I do think that Welcome to the Dollhouse is more focused on a a, a slightly later stage of development, specifically sexual uh, experience that Margaret touches on extremely lightly. It's like kissing and that's about it, (laughs) you you know? And I think in Dollhouse, because these are, you know, very young kids talking and thinking about sex and sexual matters, but because those things are still pretty far beyond them, it does have a different feel than Margaret and her friends talking about periods and and breast film and things are like a little more immediate, like they're actually happening to them in that moment. Whereas in Dollhouse, it's more they're sort of projecting onto a future version of themselves that they maybe have in their head, but don't fully understand yet. So there is a little more sort of a play acting feel to uh, the young characters in Welcome to the Dollhouse, or at least Dawn and, and Brandon. As far as you know, how they engage with their their budding sexuality, such as such as it is, whereas Margaret to me just feels like a lot more immediate or or real. At the same time, they both Don and Margaret have a, a girl in their class that's more developed 
in in Margaret's case, I think just more developed physically mm-hmm. and maybe not like emotionally or sexually. In Dawn's case, it's somebody who was like actually in her class who is now dressing like an older girl mm-hmm. and acting like an older girl, making out with boys and and hanging out in front of the uh, <laughs> laying the awkwardly on top of a car. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's and, supposed to be her a- same age. Yeah, she, she says she was oh. uh, in her gym I, class. Oh, wow. I, I missed that detail. Wow. For okay. some reason, I thought she was Mark's age, but may, yeah, maybe I... Yeah, okay. I thought she was I mean, it's, it's possible. Older. We don't get the detail. Mm-hmm. It's possible that it was a, a multi-grade gym class. Mm-hmm. But the, the definite impression is that they're just not that far apart in sure. age. And the fact that they're you know, that they're so different, I, I think, again, is just very real. You know, there were there were definitely girls in my classes, probably throughout most of my, uh, like, grade school to high school career that were further behind or further ahead of where I was in physical development, in emotional development, in sexual development, you know, that that experience of everybody doesn't go through the same thing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's just, I think, very universal. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like the scene where Dawn goes to this girl she's been told to consult with uh, to ask questions that she doesn't even have fully formed about sex. Whereas Margaret basically just defers to a girl who acts like she has more knowledge. And as a result, just gets I, both of them, I think kind of get bad information from people who uh, in one case have more experience and in one case uh, is pretending more experience. The one, the one connection that kind of, that, that really stood out for me with these two films is, is peer pressure of just of the, the feeling mm. that these two girls have of really having to think about themselves in relationship to their classmates in, in entering you know, into the school or into their t- clubs or friendship circles and um, being kind of thrown out of any comfort zone they might have. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, Dawn, Dawn has to go to school and worry about being bullied constantly. There's that, there's that. So it's just, she's being terrorized all, all of the time. But for Margaret, it's kind of a soft, it's, it, it, it's, 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 it's softer, but also intense because because she she's a new kid in this neighborhood uh she has a friend in nancy wheeler who who is quite literally putting her through comfort by wearing making her wear those shoes without socks but mm-hmm. uh, but also just you know and making her wear a bra it, before she needs it exactly wearing a bra before she needs to keeping this this boy book talking about periods making note of whether they're having them or not uh you know it's there's a lot of things that 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 margaret is having to think about and do that she would never want to do or think uh, you know on her own and she has to do it because she's she's in in this this peer group and that 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 really feels so true of 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 this age because you know the you, you one thing about being unformed is 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 that you're kind of conscious of it too of and, and and you don't have that kind of awareness of self or, or, or certainty of self that 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 helps you uh, you know later on in, in life you know one thing i always think about with my with my older daughter is that she fell in with a group of friends who were just college kids somehow in elementary school they just had this, <laughs> this they were just they, these kind of alternative kids and they're you know they're, they're they're cool and they don't give a shit about any what other people think about them and it's just it's just somehow they they figured things out like way way early much earlier than kids normally do but for the for the most part you know uh, the, the amount of pressure that kids of all kinds but kids at this specific age and girls especially face at this moment in their lives it's just so intense and that really I think brings these two characters together really well. Moving on to like uh, something else they have in common, which is which is the way they deal with crushes. I was struck by how in Margaret there's the acceptable crush and mm-hmm. the, that everyone has, and there's the the, the secret crush you you tuck away in, yeah. in your and only tell yourself about. You know, with Don, it's only the secret crush. I mean, any anything she would express, I think would would be only end in humiliation for for it just any anything she you know she's a situation where any detail she reveals about herself at all leads to to bullying uh it's a it's a you know in many ways it's a much cozier world margaret's world but there are perils to it too i don't think she could you know she i don't think she could talk to the others about moose they wouldn't get moose the way she gets moose (laughs) he should get moose moose is great and he's an older kid (laughs) i think the thing about moose though is the only thing that makes him unacceptable is that while nancy wheeler 
presents as kind of an older and more sophisticated girl. She has a very childlike uh, relationship with her brother mm-hmm. that involves a lot of screaming and tattling. It's it, she's she is Missy whenever her uh, her brother comes around. Although you know Don does her fair of uh, whining and yelling and tattling too, so maybe that's unfair. But. There's nothing wrong with Moose per se. It's just that Nancy associates him with the brother that she hates and therefore he's unacceptable and therefore he is not allowed as a crush within the group, which just, you know, if he was if he was literally anybody else on the block, it would probably be okay for Margaret to express an interest in him. On the subject of crushes with Welcome to the Dollhouse, I think it's also maybe worth talking about Brandon's crush on Dawn and how differently and uh, alarmingly it plays out, you know, compared to her crush on, on Steve. And it's very appropriate for Welcome to the Dollhouse that, you know, the theme of bullying and <laughs> crush are like wrapped up in the same package, uh, very in keeping with the the project of the film, as it were. But I guess maybe Keith and Scott, not that I am uh, suggesting that either of you were a Brandon, but, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about the adolescent experiences of, of girls. I'm curious, maybe do we want to talk about Brandon for a little bit and what's driving him? <laughs> I don't think I was particularly like Brandon, but no. I do know I wasn't either. But, but is it but, behavior that you recognize from like people you grew up with? I mean, you're you have different sorts of pressures when you have crushes as a boy. You know, you're not, you know, uh, I mean, you don't, you just don't talk about that kind of thing, or at least mm-hmm. I, 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 I didn't. So I think there well, is. I don't think this, I don't think Brandon does either. I think like that's, that's kind of a it. big part of it is that like you, you know the the girls are very openly talking and, and Margaret like very openly talking about their crushes, uh, you know, or approved crushes anyway, and maybe that is not an outlet that uh, Brandon had, and so it. Uh, uh, yeah. manifests in a different way it's almost like the retur- return of the repressed with him in some mm-hmm. ways it's like this is the only i mean what is acceptable for him is being a, a dick <laughs> you know yeah. somebody what he's allowed to, he did he's that's how he always behaves that's how he presents himself in public and you know this is like well i have this new feeling i can only channel it into something i already know how to do and that's be a bully and, and be mean even if the subtext of it is something different entirely well, I mean, from my own experience, though, you do the, 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 it almost there almost becomes sort of an interspecies thing in a way. Like you're, you, you have your group, whatever, whatever, whatever strata of in terms of popularity you might be in, and and uh, you you tend to draw from that pool of of people. I remember re- reluctantly g- agreeing to go to one of one of my seventh grade dances with somebody I I didn't want to go with because she was kind of in our little circle you mm-hmm. know uh, I, I and so i agreed to do it there was another i, I don't know it's just it, it is something that gets talked about and, and and i think i think it's it's i think there do become kind of acceptable and unacceptable uh crushes mm-hmm. within within a group also for boys that was true at least in my experience as a seventh grader i, I think an interesting thing about uh brandon's crush on dawn is that he's he's part of a little kind of unwitting love triangle you know there's the, the, the girl lolita who just reminds me so much of ali sheedy's character in breakfast club uh, <laughs> just like earlier in life you know she's a, a burnout at age 11 but she has a thing for brandon she's like he's mine he, he belongs oh, to me so keep away from him and uh, the scene where he's staring at Dawn while Lolita is kind of trying to, like, get his attention just kind of plays into the degree to which, like, nobody in a, in a Todd Zelens world is happy. They're, they're all seeking after something that they're that they shouldn't have or that they can't have or that they're just not equipped to have. And she almost seems to, to recognize uh, Donna's kind of a threat to her, which is it, right. I mean, is that what she's sort of I think, snuffing out a yeah, little bit? I think I think maybe. It's hard to say, you know, just because Dawn is just so universally bullied, <laughs> you know, I guess I think it's a little hard to say for sure, based on what we see in the film, whether Lolita is targeting Dawn because of Brandon versus just because of all the other reasons people target Dawn. But it definitely like adds that shading to their interactions. There's a lot. I mean, one of the things about Dollhouse is there's a lot of evidence. Uh, again, hurt people hurt people. There's just a lot of evidence of 
people trying to find somebody of a lower social strata to pick on Mm -hmm. and like being embarrassed or angry if somebody from a perceived lower social strata approaches them in some way. You know, that the moment where Don slaps a ball out of the hand of a much smaller child. (laughs) Yes. Because it's just she just needs somebody who's a safe target is just not that different from Lolita picking on her or the kid that she saves from being bullied and beaten who immediately calls her wiener dog Mm -hmm. and runs away from her because he's expressly humiliated at having somebody that he would like to see as a lower social status than him express fellow feeling like there's bullying in Margaret, but it's such soft, like kind bullying coming from a place of, ignorance more than anything like nancy wants to be surrounded by people who reflect her back at herself Mm -hmm. but there's just it doesn't seem like there's a lot of malice in her again because she seems like such a little kid as we see whenever she's interacting with her brother well there's some there's some cruelty though in margaret too i mean that that boy is the 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 the, oh, the, yeah. the 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 crush is uh, yeah, turns on Luke her in a way that is uh, yeah. really boy talk painful. about he's he's yet another case of uh, somebody acting with a sophistication like far above his age and the uh-huh. way that kid plays that role just the the little smirk that he wears on his face at all times of like. I'm a Lothario at age 11 is <laughs> you can't Mar- trust Mar- a kid Mar- with hair that floppy funniest things. Margaret just as late as conquest in the sense that someone <laughs> his age could have a conquest. Uh, yeah. yeah. Just as far as the, you know, quote unquote bullying in, in Margaret to the, uh, among specifically with, with Nancy, but like it's mean girls, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. mean girl behavior. And like, I, do we think that Rachel McAdams casting is a, a wink here or just, just a coincidence? <laughs> I think probably just a coincidence. It's a nice, nice little bit of, yeah, uh, yeah. of rhyming there, isn't it? Yeah, definitely like brought that film and those character dynamics to mind. I mean, Nancy Wheeler is just a, a few years removed from a, from a Regina George, you know, and maybe she won't go down that road because uh, her, uh, well, I guess uh, Gretchen sticks around uh, at, at the end, but both, uh, you know, Margaret and Janie kind of split off from her. So may- may- maybe, uh, maybe Nancy will take a lesson from that, or maybe she won't. <laughs> Yeah, the Nancys of the world uh, can always find followers. Just, just a, as a quick, uh, quick aside, my my uh, my Stranger Things loving kid was. I was just going to say Nancy yeah, Wheeler stranger. shared her name. <laughs> she do, do, was she doing doing the, doing the uh, Leo in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood meme? Yeah, pointing of, at the uh, of, pointing yeah. at the screen. Nancy Wheeler. Uh, do yeah. do we think that the yeah, Stranger that... Things Nancy Wheeler was a a nod to Judy Bloom Nancy I Wheeler? Think, I, not the character so much, but definitely the name. The name, I mean, yeah. It, it's, <laughs> it's that one thing in Stranger Things that's an homage to something else, right? Uh, from the seventies, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, uh, <laughs> oh, thank goodness somebody finally identified the uh, influence <laughs> in Stranger Things. One other, like while we're while we're sidetracking, did everyone spot Judy Bloom in the film? Oh Are yes, yeah, yeah. yeah that was, that was, was that was my Leo meme moment yeah. for sure. <laughs> That's her husband <laughs> with her husband. With yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing I haven't asked that uh, of of people that saw this in the theater that I am very very curious about. The critic screening that we saw it at was prefaced with a little video message from Judy Bloom and a series of edits of of social media posts that were women talking about what Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret had meant to them as a, a, a book. You know, it's all older women who encountered this book, I think, for the first time when it came out talking about how meaningful it was to them. And I was very curious if that played theatrically, because I, I found that very moving. It did not. I think they were just trying to influence critics <laughs> with that. Are, are, we, are we sure it wasn't uh, just a clip from Judy Bloom forever? I don't, <laughs> the, the documentary, because that is no, a, a feature of it. No, because most of the stuff in that is like, is like uh, Lena Dunham and, and yeah. you know the one of the creators of uh, Pen15 yeah. talking about it. So. Anna Conkle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, no, I didn't get that either. But also we... Uh, we're very late. We got caught in traffic and like walked in 
as the film was starting. So I, I can't I, say just about the time that Margaret was having her period. <laughs> <laughs> I was there the whole time. I saw the Transformers trailer yet again. <laughs> so I was. I did not see this little uh, the sizzle reel of, of testimonials for uh, for from from uh, Judy Bloom readers. Unfortunately, it sounds it sounds That's nice. Too though. bad. It was it was super sweet, and I I don't see uh, people giving the same sort of testimonials about Welcome to the Dollhouse, despite all of the evidence that so many people related to it on a personal level. Well, I mean, I was saying we talk about the the sort of dearth of, about movies featuring these kind of dramatic uh, bodily changes, and yet uh, we have the Transformers. They go from cars uh, to robots. And back again. Sometimes in this new film, that they go from robots to uh, robot animals or robot animals that turn into vehicles. I don't even know. My, I, no, okay, I, this is ooh. this is the kind of divergence that usually leads to somebody <laughs> shutting down the podcast. And uh, I, I, I'm going to turn this podcast around and take it home. And before somebody does that, I, I want to get to uh, one of the connections that maybe struck me most, which is both of these movies end with the protagonists heading off on a, a little road trip, like on a sort of a vacation, like outside of these lives that they've been living. But one of them, like we we see Margaret begin with her coming back from camp and just sort of a, a sense that like everything is is happy and healthy in her life until she talks to her parents and finds out how much everything has changed. Which, by the way, another parallel between uh, these two movies is both of them have a, a parental let me handle this. I'm going to be the one to break the news to her. Oh, oh damn it. Somebody else came out and said it. Uh, and now everything is is screwed because we needed to tell the daughter something she was not going to take well. And I had a, a specific way in mind to do it. And then you ruined it. Both of them have that scene, which is fun. But Margaret ends with her heading back to camp with sort of the implication that, you know, by breaking with Nancy and dancing and enjoying herself, she was kind of like heading back to being a, a kid and being her own person again. And then she heads off to this place that she found like fulfilling and, and fun with the implication that she's going to again. We end Welcome to the Dollhouse with Dawn on a bus to Disneyland, which <laughs> seems like it should be a celebratory moment. She's singing with all of these these kids from the choir. She's doing something as part of a group. She's not being bullied. It should be a celebratory moment. And instead, it's just one of the bleakest, saddest movie endings that doesn't feature death that I think I've ever seen. And it's it's God, it's stuck with me as much as the rape business all these years. What a sad and agonizing ending that is, even though nothing really terrible is happening. I, I, I think it's great. I, I think it's ending. moving. Yeah. Great on, on their way to the happiest place on earth. <laughs> <laughs> that's like it's like it's like a it's like a midnight cowboy ending <laughs> maybe also maybe maybe just the disney connection but it kind of put me in the mind of the end of full metal jacket where they're all chanting the mickey mouse theme in unison oh, like this sort of conformity uh sort of being reinforced through music uh yeah it, it's it's tough and, and the way the soundtrack kind of zooms in so to speak on on her own vocals uh, yeah nicely done yeah, it's it's a really well directed and really well conceived ending that is also just <laughs> unbelievably gutting. As compared, I mean, <laughs> pretty sharp contrast with Margaret's bus ride. I guess it's I'm not sure there's much more we can say about it beyond that. Well, on on that note, that feels like a good place for our, our own ending as as we board the bus and, and ride off into hopefully. Wait, wait, are we boarding the happy bus or the sad bus? Let's just say, I need to know. That's up to you. You get on the bus you want to, but I, I, I'm gonna let's just say happy bus. Uh, Welcome to Dollhouse <laughs> is available to rent through all the usual services. Are you there, God? It's me. Margaret is still in theaters, but you might have to rush to catch it before the big summer movie releases swallow it up. Uh, we'll be right back in a moment with your next picture show. Finally, it's time to recommend a film or film-related item that complements this set of episodes. We call it Your Next Picture Show in the hopes that it'll put some interesting choices on your radar. Uh, we got an easy one. I've already talked about it a little bit. It's the, the new documentary, uh, Judy Bloom Forever, which is on Amazon Prime. It, it premiered at Sundance earlier this year. And you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that it's premiering at the same time 
as, uh, or either God, it's me, Margaret. It's co-directed by Davina Pardo and Leah Walchok. And it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of interviews with Judy Bloom. There's a lot of archival footage. It kind of walks you through her whole history. I thought it was really good. I mean, I really, I I learned some things about her and, and I found myself just really, you know, moved by the effect that, you know, this person's fiction has had on so many generations. I, I loved all the shots of letters on stationery from the 70s and 80s that I recognize like, from my own youth, you know? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. What about you, Jenny? You, you liked it too, right? Oh, yeah. I, I really uh, enjoyed this. And it does, like, <laughs> it does feel like 2023 is the year that Judy Bloom sort of just like engages with her legacy and maybe like not not to be morbid about it, but she is getting older. I feel like she, you know, there's sort of an attempt to like acknowledge the full scope of, of Judy Bloom while while we still have her around and can do that. And, you know, this documentary, it like it's not I mean, it's it's like Judy Bloom's books. It's not necessarily uh, filled with incident, but it's filled with feeling and just sort of this overarching. I guess like the the theme or the through line of it is Bloom just finding her outlet in writing. Like you know, she was a suburban housewife and mother, and she just like had all of these words in her and once she realized you know she she processed her emotions through words and she realized that that is something that kids needed and gravitated toward and the sequences that you mentioned Keith with the letters like she kept up years sometimes decades of correspondence with her readers it's fascinating like there's a a sequence of her like going to a, a library archive of all of her correspondence over the years and it just boxes and boxes of her old letters that uh, she's going through and the film uh, like interviews some of the people now adults that she corresponded with sometimes like through their entire adolescence into adulthood there's some really moving moments within those sequences that I don't want to spoil but you know, they're kind of indicative of the way that this movie kind of like can sneak up on you. Cause like on its surface, like it's kind of like, hey, RV. It's like, oh, like Judy Bloom, she's great. You know, here's all the great stuff she did. Here's her talking about her life. But it does have these quietly intense moments of feeling and reality, both in her life and the lives of the readers who she, you know, who who loved her and who loved her books that like kind of creep up on you. And I I wept at this movie more than I wept at. Hmm. at uh, Are you there, God? It's it's me, Margaret. Yeah, it is. It's just this the sweeping influence this one person has had through, you know, just telling the truth about things and being honest with kids and talking to them on their own level. I, I did. That, there's that one correspondent who basically just treated it, Judy Bloom's her diary. <laughs> yeah. just wrote her all the all the time. And she wrote back. <laughs> I know. She. I, I'm sure she didn't write back to everybody, but the people yeah. she did write back to, she wrote back at at length and and multiple times and 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 i'm retroactively mad at the unnamed established children's author that her first husband knew who like wrote her a letter explaining yeah. based on a sample of like all the things she did wrong and why she'd never be a writer mm-hmm. <laughs> i guess that kind of spurred her on yeah. as well uh but yeah i mean she her she's so open in the interviews too i mean she's yeah. 85 She's probably more active than I am, um, <laughs> just, and yeah. she just, you know, is is kind of a, a, a straight well, talker, and and Ella has like this disarming smile. I, I, I even when she's confronted, like there's that scene of her being thrown into the lion's den with Pat Buchanan, and oh god, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, and like the uh, the stock also spends a fair amount of time sort of engaging with her work against censorship and mm-hmm. which is at, you know I as the film ever. points out in- incredibly relevant at this particular moment it's it's something she's still concerned with and, and involved with today so um you know it it is not any less relevant for being so you know far removed from her her breakout books and i want to go to her bookstore in, in key west me which too is, me seems too. to be her, her main thing these days <laughs> where can people find this film it's on prime video uh mm-hmm. you can if you're a prime person you can just watch it right now right right after you watch an episode of uh the citadel uh or uh, <laughs> just, what if i what if i want things to ship to my house that, uh, that's good for that was, too but we're, they okay. didn't sponsor us so we don't need to go any further uh, okay good that. Though, though i will say i will say uh, i i have uh i have 
uh, sh- sh- goobers shipments sent to me on the regular. <laughs> like, uh, the candy goobers are sent to me in four packs. How about yeah, that? Do you have a subscription? <laughs> I have a goober. I have a goober subscription. <laughs> <laughs> it's called. It's it's, it's a goobers plus. It's a goobers plus subscription. <laughs> Well, that's it for this edition of the Next Picture Show, but we'll be back uh, next week for another set of episodes. Tasha, do you want to tell us about our episodes dropping on May 23rd and May 30th? Sure. Directed by James Gunn, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 brings his trilogy of films about cosmic misfits on the fringes of the Marvel Universe to a close with an adventure set in motion by an arch foe named the High Evolutionary, a mad scientist obsessed with perfecting life via accelerated evolution. We were already thinking about Island of Lost Souls, Erie C. Kenton's 1932 adaptation of H.G. Wells' The Island of Dr. Moreau, even before we read an interview in which Gunn himself specifically cited it as a major influence. Charles Lawton stars as Moreau, a scientist with some ethically questionable ideas about the line between humanity and the animal kingdom. A quick note, Island of Lost Souls is currently not streaming on any services, but there's an excellent Criterion Collection disc from 2011 that should be available at your local library, and it's possible to view it for free via the Internet Archive. For now, we welcome your feedback on Welcome to the Dollhouse. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret, and anything else film-related you'd like to talk about. Email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net or leave us a voicemail at 773-234-9730. Before we close out this week's episode, where can we find everyone these days? Tasha? I am still the film and streaming editor at Polygon.com. You can find me writing about Guardians of the Galaxy and other movies there. You can find me on Twitter some of the time at Tasha Robinson, at least till I get that coveted blue sky invite. Yeah, send them to us. Uh, I don't have a blue sky invite either so it would be nice to have one um i'm on twitter at scott underscore tobias uh you can find my work at the new york times uh guardian vulture and other fine publications uh, i i do most of my writing for the newsletter i sh- share with keith phipps it's called the reveal uh you can find it at the reveal.substack.com uh genevieve I am still the TV editor at Vulture.com. I am still mostly avoiding Twitter and still posting videos of my dogs on Instagram at Genevieve Kosky <laughs> and Keith. Are oh. any of them wiener dogs? <laughs> Not anymore. I'm, well, one of them maybe Aww. has a little wiener dog in him, but uh, no, I've, I've, I've lost my dear. Oh, God, get that out of there. <laughs> Did he eat it? <laughs> Keith, what about you? Uh, first, I feel like I need to do the Werner Herzog voices like you must never watch the film Wiener Dog. <laughs> Um, as Scott mentioned you can find me uh, a lot at thereveal.substack.com which is the reveal the the newsletter I co-write with Scott Tobias you can also find me writing for places like GQ The Ringer Vulture TV Guide and I tweet out links to that stuff at kfips3000 occasional thoughts about other things uh, on on Twitter you can stay updated on the Next Picture Show at nextpictureshow.net and on Twitter at, at nextpicturepod give us a blue sky invite we'll be on there too uh, get bonus content and open discussion at patreon.com slash next picture show and as always we appreciate your rating and reviews on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to the show thanks to Dan the Baked Jakes for his assistance producing this podcast the Next Picture Show is proud to be part of the film spotting family of podcasts please tune in next time <laughs>